0: As we continue our series through the book of Job, we come to Job 28, hear God's word. Truly there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out the farthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it, the lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth and it is not found in the land of the living The deep says it is not in me, and the sea says it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, its precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come, and where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, When he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. We can recognize folly when we see it. The atheist is a fool. Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The fool has a wrong understanding of reality and of the ultimate principles of this world. His worldview, we might say, is off, and flowing from wrong thinking is a wrong way of living. There's also the folly of a person making a wrong judgment about what is truly valuable in life. As one example, the Bible confronts the folly of trusting in riches to satisfy your soul. In the parable of the rich fool, we have the rich farmer who is reveling in his newfound wealth and has just said to himself, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And God's response to him is, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so people who think that this life is all that there is and that the wealth and pleasures of this world can satisfy the soul are fools. The thing that stands out about foolish thinking and actions is the undesirable consequences that the fool either ignores or doesn't realize. So that the future for the fool is bleak. Bad things happen when we think and act in ways contrary to reality as God has created it. And we find, for example, Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians contrasting the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of man is a wisdom that sounds very intellectual. It sounds smart because of the use of eloquent words, but it's actually empty. The wisdom of man thinks that the gospel of being saved from sin through Jesus dying on a cross is folly. And as a result, the man with worldly wisdom does not look to Jesus Christ for salvation, and in that, forfeits eternal life. Meanwhile, this foolhardy man insists on the basis of reason and logic that he has figured out how to be happy and fulfilled in this life. And if any consideration is given to the life to come, man in his wisdom inevitably believes that he can make himself favorable to God. He thinks that he can earn eternal life for himself through good works. But what does the Bible say about man's so-called wisdom? Paul is quoting Isaiah 29, 14 when he writes in 1 Corinthians 1, 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So in the end, the fool finds himself stripped by God of everything that he trusted in for success and prosperity for the present and the future. And as he is cast into hell to suffer eternally for his sins, he will reap the consequences of his flawed thinking that gave no account to God. Meanwhile, there's a sense in which even fallen man is able to dabble in wisdom as he lives out his earthly life. Because of confusion, whether or not fallen man can have some wisdom, and in line with how Job here seems to suggest that man does have some level of wisdom, and yet in the end doesn't have wisdom, I think it's helpful to define the various nuances of wisdom. A very basic dictionary of wisdom might read something like this. It's the ability to apply your knowledge and experience to make good decisions and judgments. And the key words there would be ability and apply. It's it's an ability to be able to apply knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to take things that you know and apply them in everyday life. And if you have wisdom, you make good decisions and good judgments. And an observation of the world reveals that even the foolish unbeliever can have some true knowledge and can make some good decisions. Along these lines, wisdom can be defined as a skill. It's been said that wisdom is the skill of seeing beyond the thin surface of how things appear. So for example, you may think that you know what happened when a relationship broke down, but wisdom says you need to hear both sides. Don't just look at the surface, but you need to hear both sides before you make a final determination. And so wisdom involves taking the time to really delve in and to find out what's really going on. And even unbelievers can recognize the wisdom of that. In line with defining wisdom as a skill, it is said that wisdom is the skill of understanding how things work in God's world and then adjusting one's life to that understanding so that your life can go smoothly and so that you can reap good things. There's a wisdom that even unbelievers can experience as they interact with God's world and adjust themselves to God's system so, for example, unbelievers can figure out the principle of this world that if they sow, they will reap. And so many have learned the virtue of hard work. There are many other ways people of the world dabble in wisdom. They, they find out that if they treat people in loving, selfless ways, that their relationships flourish. While if they are self-focused and seek only their own interests, they're probably going to end up alone. They can figure out a lot of things about this world, even using science. They're able to solve practical problems. They're able to make lives more comfortable. But notice how so far I've defined wisdom apart from God. Can a person really be called wise who doesn't take God into account? What Job helps us to see in chapter 28 is that as much as man is is able to figure out about this world, he never on his own really finds wisdom in its Ultimate biblical sense in relation to God. This is because wisdom is based on knowing the world is working the way it does because God created it to operate a certain way in order to accomplish his purposes. And until you understand this world in relation to God and to his purposes, you really don't understand it. And there's perhaps no better example of this than when man thinks he's capable of knowing himself in this world without God's help. There's a certain amount of knowledge and wisdom that man can claim as he learns and applies how things work in this world. There's the so-called laws of nature. But how wise is man when he fails to recognize and to to reckon with the most basic and yet profound truth of all, which is that this world is created by God and that we exist for God's glory. How much can you really claim to understand about this world And how well are you going to apply what you learn when you don't even know how this world got here and what its purpose is? In fact, so many in our society today, in their folly, say that this world has no purpose. That, in fact, it's just the result of random interactions of matter. They say there's no God, there's no afterlife, and if that's how you think the world works, then you're going to make a lot of foolish decisions. And we see those foolish decisions being made by people who think that they can live however they want and get away with it. Uh, if, if you think there's no God and that, this, that we exist by the Big Bang and, and, and think that we're here by the processes of evolution, then you're going to think there's no need to prepare for life after death. If you leave out God in the spiritual realm, you have a wrong knowledge of reality, and so you are going to not make good decisions and judgments. Denying the very basis of reality is the opposite of wisdom. It doesn't matter if the person otherwise has figured out a lot of things about life. So, do we say unbelievers are wise? Do we, do we say that they, in any sense, have wisdom? Well, I prefer to use the language of Scripture, which refers to the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of man. Um, the Bible itself distinguishes between the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of man. And so there is a wisdom that sinful man can be said to have. But in relation to spiritual things, the most important things of all, sinful man is a fool. And in the end, his wisdom is empty. What I'm pointing out is that true wisdom begins with God and therefore is to be defined in relation to him. Wisdom begins with God because God is wisdom. Wisdom as an attribute of God is the ability of God to know regarding his own creation, how everything fits together, and then flowing from that all-encompassing knowledge, the ability to carry out his good and perfect purpose and plan for his world in the best possible way. And what is at the heart of God's wisdom is that God created a world of order under his sovereign rule, and everything that happens serves a purpose. According to Colossians 1.16, this world was created for Jesus Christ. The grand purpose that God has in creating this world is to exalt Jesus Christ, to exalt him as the gracious and loving Savior of sinners. The goal is to have a church made up of sinners saved through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, who for all eternity praise God for his grace. Everything that happens in this world serves this goal in the best possible way. That's God's wisdom at work. Now, I've spent a good deal of time this morning talking about wisdom because that's the theme of our chapter this morning. Specifically, it's about a quest for wisdom. And basically, Job has been on a quest for wisdom ever since we've started this book, ever since his trials began. His desire has been to understand how does this world work? And, and not just in some general way, but in relation to God. Specifically, he wants to understand why God is treating him the way he is. He wants to understand the architecture and structure of the universe as God has designed it in his wisdom. This way, Job can know the answer to his why questions. And this quest for wisdom is really described here in, this, in chapter 28 in three phases And perhaps Job has found himself at some point moving through these phases in his understanding of wisdom. But regardless, we want to consider these three phases, these these three sections and uh, their relationship to wisdom. So in the first phase of verses 1 through 11, Job here uses a very poetical description of a mining operation. And in this, he is highlighting man's ability to search and to discover and to learn many things about how this world works. And as a result, it appears that man has the ability to find wisdom. And yet in verse 12, Job questions where wisdom can be found. Man's wisdom is not the wisdom that Job seeks, for it can't answer his questions. And in phase two of verses 12 through 22, Job points out that a search wisdom, yes, it's a commendable goal, and yet it is not something that can be found by man as he studies this earth. And in phase three, Job answers the question of verse 20 concerning from where wisdom comes. It comes from God. God is wise. God knows all things about how his world works, and he could answer all of Job's questions, but doesn't. The best thing to do in line with how this world works is to fear God and to turn away from evil. That's the sum, really, of this chapter. And so to summarize our three points that we are going to consider one by one are first of all, man's wisdom, verses 1 through 12. Uh, Second, wisdom, a worthy but unreachable goal, verses 13 through 22. And third, how to get wisdom, verses 23 through 28. So we begin with the search for man's wisdom. In uh, verses 1 through 11, Job is reflecting on some pretty amazing things that man is able to do. Now, in our day, we might point to how we've reached the moon, or we might point to some new technology that we've developed. But ever since God told man to exercise dominion over the earth, man has been on a quest to explore and understand our world. And what Job describes is man's ability to extract precious minerals out of the earth by means of mining. Silver and gold are mined, iron and copper ore is taken out of the earth, and somehow man figured out how to smelt that ore in order to extract useful quantities of metal out of what otherwise just looks like rock and dirt. Verses 3 and 4 take us deep into the interior of the earth where man has put an end to darkness by figuring out some means of bringing artificial light below the ground. Vertical shafts are sunk down deep into the earth and men are lowered down on ropes and they swing back and forth as they work to dislodge minerals from the side of the shaft. Meanwhile, travelers can be walking on the ground above and, and, and they don't even know that the miners are down there. Joe points out how the work of the miner is very different from that of the farmer up on top of the ground who in his own way is drawing wealth out of the soil as he grows grain for bread. But somehow man figured out that there are these precious stones and these metals way down under the ground and developed ways to extract them. Verse 5 as well as verses 9 through 11 tell us something of the science of mining in that day. They, uh, we are told in verse 5 they, they turn up. There's this turning up of the soil under the ground as by fire. And uh, we're told that there's this ancient technique, uh, mining technique of rocks being cracked open Their insides revealed by heating rocks with fire and then pouring water over them. According to verse 9, hard flinty rock doesn't stop the hard-working miner. And in fact, in some cases, he moves such vast quantities of dirt that mountains are said to be overturned. This overturning of mountains by the roots could also be a reference to an ancient mining technique of of cutting deep into the rock at the base of a mountain with wedges and hammers, and they would put in supports along the way. And then once they had made a significant intrusion into the base of the mountain from a distance and with a signal, somehow the supports would be pulled out and the mountain would literally fall down upon itself, we're told with a deafening crash. And in this way, whole hillsides of a mountain could be broken apart for the precious stones and metals to be exposed. Verses 10 and 11 refer to miners uh, encountering water and how they would handle that. They would cut channels to divert water away or perhaps uh, divert water toward the mine in order to use the force of water to erode rock and dirt as a way to unearth stones and ore. When a, when a miner encountered a, st- a stream bed that he wanted to excavate, then he would dam it up and, and so that it would dry up and then he could... Uh, dig minerals out of the stream bed so what's been described here is man's skill his ingenuity at finding and acquiring great wealth that's buried in the earth mining is hard it is dangerous work and yet man found ways to do it successfully and the wealth he has found speaks for itself Uh, The point is that man is a wise creature who can figure out many things about how this world works. He's able to figure out that something is valuable. He plans how to get it and then successfully acquires it. And this ability sets man apart as the highest of the earthly creatures. There's reference to the falcon. There's reference to the lion who have their own set of skills, and yet they know nothing about mining operations. Uh, They don't help man in any way with his mining. Yes, the falcon has keen eyesight, the lion has fierce strength, they are able to accomplish things in their own realm, but their abilities are nothing compared to what man can do. And so mining is used here by Job as an appropriate picture of his own quest for wisdom. Wisdom is not easily acquired. And in Job's case, the wisdom of understanding God's ways with him has eluded him. Man can figure out so many things, But can man find wisdom? Wisdom and understanding are valuable and they are worth pursuing, but is there a place where wisdom can be dug up and discovered by man? Does this earth hold the key? We would think based on man's skill and intellectual abilities that he might be able to find an answer to Job's why questions. And Job asks in verse 12 these rhetorical questions expecting a negative answer. But where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? The answer in both of these cases is that you're going to come up empty-handed when you try to find wisdom by searching for it on earth. Verses 13 through 22, where we find Wisdom, a worthy but unreachable, unreachable goal. These verses really highlight two problems with man's search for wisdom. Richard Belcher, in his commentary, states the two problems this way. He says, first, wisdom is not a commodity that can be discovered by human beings using their natural abilities. And then second, human beings do not understand the true value of wisdom. And I believe we can relate these two problems by saying that man's thinking that wisdom is within his reach, like a commodity, shows that he doesn't understand the true value of wisdom, for wisdom is priceless. The most precious things man has for buying goods are listed here, many of which are dug up through mining, gold, silver, stones of onyx or sapphire, glass, jewels made from gold, coral, crystal, pearls, topaz, etc., These things are inadequate for getting wisdom, even if wisdom was available for purchase. Wisdom is too valuable. And the problem is, as verse 13 states, it is not found in the land of the living. You see, the thought is anticipated that perhaps man thinks, well, I just need to dig deeper. Maybe there just needs to be more effort put forth to finding it. It's there, it's just not been discovered yet. And verse 14 sets forth a part of this creation that We are told that even today, we've just barely begun to explore. We're talking about the seas and the oceans. The thought may occur, well, maybe if we explore just the deepest parts of some sea, we might find wisdom there. But the deep replies, it's not in me. Well, what if we explored the the seas, uh, the shallower parts of yet another vast body of water, but the sea says, it's not with me. Verse 21 summarizes the situation well. It is hidden from the eyes of all living, even the birds of the air. As they soar through the skies from high above and can see far and wide, they can't find wisdom. What about Abaddon and death? The word Abaddon means destruction. It's a Hebrew word used in Revelation 9 verse 11 to refer to Satan, the angel of the bottomless pit. Job here is referring to the realm of the dead. He's trying to cover all possibilities, to leave no stone unturned. Maybe the least likely place the grave is where wisdom can be found. Maybe Satan has some idea of at least where it could be found. Maybe the dead themselves can speak of it, but all they, they can come up with is they've heard a rumor that it exists. But I would point out that what we have in this second section is really a portrayal of the state of the heart of those who know only the wisdom of the world. First, when Job is asking in verse 12 about where wisdom can be found, he's not talking about the wisdom of the world. He's not talking about the wisdom of minors. The fact that he raises this question shows that he doesn't consider the skill of minors to be true wisdom. That man does not know The worth of true wisdom and thinks that it is just something earthly that can be bought with precious jewels and metals and stones betrays a heart that is not interested in godly spiritual wisdom. This means that when Job is asking the questions about where wisdom and understanding can be found, he's actually raising these questions to people who think that they have found wisdom. They're not searching for wisdom. They're convinced because of their human abilities, because of their successes in acquiring wealth, that they are already wise. They don't realize that true wisdom, the wisdom of God, can't be found in the land of the living. The idea is you don't extract it from the earth like jewels and gold. It's not something that an earth creature can discover. And so the first problem with man's heart is that he doesn't even think he needs God's wisdom. He's proud. He's self-sufficient. He thinks he can figure things out on his own. And second, that man contemplates buying wisdom reveals his value system. It seems really like a contradiction is going on here that needs to be explained. Because if the worldly man is not seeking wisdom because he figures he already has it, then why this talk about buying wisdom? Well, I believe Job is su- suggesting what the worldly man's response would be to hearing that he doesn't have wisdom. He, Job, I think, envisions the, the, the worldly man taking to heart his words that wisdom has not been found, but then immediately figures that if wisdom is something he lacks, something that he needs, he can just buy it. This betrays the mode of operation of the worldly who look to wealth to get them the things they want and need. And notice, if you think that precious metals and stones can buy wisdom, then in your mind, wisdom is just an earthly thing. It's it, it's it, it is. It's like a commodity. It's like food or clothing, a home, land, etc. The worldly man doesn't understand the value of wisdom. It's just another tool to be purchased. To get what he thinks is truly valuable, which are things like gold and silver and sapphires and pearls and topaz. These are, in his mind, the things that are worth having above all, because these are the currency to get what you want in this world. So wisdom for the worldly man is figuring out how best to acquire wealth so that you can feel more secure for the future. And so putting both heart problems together, you can be sure that the man who is convinced of his own wisdom is also a man whose heart is given over to the idolatry of earthly wealth. Did you notice how the question regarding wisdom changed in verse 20? So in verse 12, the question was, but where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? And in verse 20, we have the same words for the second question. But the first question reads, it's different from verse 12, In verse 20, it says, from where then does wisdom come? And that is a change in perspective. At first, the question is about where wisdom is. If man, while he is on earth, can find it and get it for himself, from every point of view, man's quest for wisdom has fallen flat. Perhaps Perhaps wisdom is man's skill and ingenuity to figure out such things as how to extract the world's wealth, and the answer is no, that's not it. It feels like wisdom when man can figure things out about this world. We might call it wisdom on some level. We call it the wisdom of man. But Job is not interested in the world's idea of wisdom that leaves out God and doesn't answer the deep questions about why we're here and what God is doing. Wisdom is understanding this world from God's perspective. And the question, but where shall wisdom be found, tells us that wisdom is not something that man can discover on earth. The question of verse 20 is based on the inability of man to find wisdom, suggesting that wisdom has to come to us from an outside source. The wisdom of understanding God's operation in this world has to come from God, which brings us to our third point. When it comes to true wisdom, we are dependent upon God. Verse 20 asks, from where then does wisdom come? where is the place of understanding? And then verse 23 tells us that God knows the answer. It says there, God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. And verses 24 through 27 give us the reason God knows the answer. The reason is that God knows and sees everything. The point is made by describing God's relationship to a thunderstorm. Notice verse 25 We're told there he is the one who gives the wind its weight, which is a way of saying that God determines how hard or soft the wind will blow. He is the one who has apportioned the waters by measure, which means that God decides how much rain to give or to withhold. God is the one who has made a decree for rain. It's God who decides when and where it will fall. God has made a way for the lightning of the thunder this is a picturesque way of saying that god decides when and where the lightning is going to burst forth from the clouds so what's being described here is the providence of god god's providence is his ruling his wise ruling of all things so that nothing happens apart from his will a summary of god's providential rule is given actually there in verse 27 when it says he saw it declared it established it and searched it out the it there is wisdom What we're being told is how God's wisdom relates to his providential rule over all things, even over something like a thunderstorm that appears to us to just be random. It seems to us to be uncontrollable. Yet this is the example that is given for us. First, God saw wisdom, which means that as God involved himself in creating the world and then sustaining and ruling it, even as he... He, as he sovereignly rules over a thunderstorm, wisdom is in view. God's desire is to manifest his wisdom in a world of order that in everything is accomplishing his purposes. Even thunderstorms are part of his plan. The next part that is described is God declaring it. God de- decreed what he would do. His desires issued forth in him declaring his will. He then established it. That refers to God actually giving the decree existence by creating and ruling things in line with his wise plan. And then the final description is introduced actually in the Hebrew. It's not reflected in our English translation. But the final description is introduced by wording that means something like, and indeed. In other words, he saw it and declared it. He established and indeed he searched it out is what the Hebrew says. This wording tells me that we are to consider the searching out as a kind of summary. It's it's saying that this searching out has, has been going on all along as God planned and executed his decree. And that in all of this, he searched out wisdom means that God has done nothing haphazardly. Now, it's not that God actually has to search out or investigate anything. This is human language that's telling us that God thought through everything. Everything has been thought through that he executes in the rule of this world. God is aware of every contingency. He's aware of every part. He's, he's fully aware of every possibility of what could have happened, that, that could happen. And part of the wisdom of God is that what he brings about in this world is exactly as he has planned. With God, there's no surprises. With God, there's no need for redos because of mistakes. His perfect goals are accomplished in a perfect way because wisdom is present in all that he does. Which then brings us to the unexpected but very relevant message of verse 28. And this has been pointed out the first time that God is recorded as speaking since chapter 2. It says, And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And a turn away from evil is understanding. Let's first consider what God is not saying. He is not finally explaining to Job why he has afflicted him. He is not explaining to Job how what has happened fits into his wise plan. He's not doing that. What he is saying is that you can know and live out something of God's wisdom. First of all, when you have the right attitude toward God, absolutely vital to wisdom is humility. Wisdom requires a fear of the Lord, where you humbly look to him as your God to meet your needs. There's also to be a love and reverence for God. Part of the fear of God is being in awe of him as God, realizing that he is infinitely above us. Part of the fear of God is a fear of dishonoring him, by our sin. It's a desire to glorify him that becomes the motivation to turn away from evil. And as much as fearing God and turning away from evil are the path to wisdom, they are more importantly, as God words it here, wisdom itself. What an important lesson we have here. Wisdom is surrendering ourselves, surrendering our lives to God, and trusting that he knows what is best and is doing what is best. You are on a wrong path. You are not thinking correctly. You are not fearing God if your goal in life is to master God's wisdom and to understand all of the wise. That is not wisdom. There are things that you and I are to leave to God. And when we are told in the New Testament that Jesus is the wisdom of God, we understand that Jesus is at the heart of God's plan and all that he does in this world. All things exist for Jesus. All things serve his glory. And since all wisdom is bound up in Jesus, what is wise for us is to unite ourselves to him in the way of repentance and faith. That first of all. Pursuing wisdom is a worthy cause, but it must never become a goal for its own sake. You don't need to know why God does everything that he does. You can't know why God does everything he does. And if you did, it would only puff you up. Wisdom is fearing God and turning away from evil, which if you think about it, that's what Job has been doing all along. When these trials came into his life, that was what God himself said of Job. He is a man who fears, fears God and turns away from evil. And wisdom is continuing In those things, it's continuing to trust that God's salvation plan that is centered in Jesus Christ is on track at all times, no matter what happens. For us, wisdom is trusting God's wisdom to work all things together for our good through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the revelation of wisdom that has come from you, the revelation of wisdom in the Lord Jesus Christ, and Father, we pray that we would humble ourselves before you, recognizing that it's not our place to understand how everything in this world works, but we thank you for revealing to us the important things and uh, helping us to understand that you are the creator, we are the creature, we are the ones who have sinned and deserve eternal punishment, but you have provided in the Lord Jesus, a Savior. And, uh, Father, we thank you for the revelation to us that all things are serving your glory. All things are serving our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a great comfort that is, even as we face trials, as we face tribulations, to know that wisdom is at work in all things. Father, we pray that you would deliver people from worldly man-centered wisdom, the deception of thinking, and we even can fall into thinking that just because we have skills that involve this earth, able to figure out things, that we can take care of ourselves eternally. Father, deliver us from such foolish thinking, recognizing that wisdom must come from you, that we cannot discover true wisdom on our own. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.